following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. Well, one thing I, I wanted to make sure I didn't fail to mention in our celebrate, Celebrating Mercy part is that we also started supporting our first missionaries of Holy Cross, and that's the Atkinson family. They're in the Dominican Republic, and so we want to continue to have them in our prayers as well. Well, just like uh, Kyle saying, this last song was, we sing out. We sing out, and when we sing, it reminds our soul of, of who we are. It reminds us of, of who we are, who we belong to, and, and, and what our identity is. And that's why we come to the scriptures as well. And so we come with that same motivation. Why do we come to the Bible? Why do we read the Bible? It's, it's a reminder. It's a reminder to us who we are and who God is. And so... We pick up in our series in 1 Corinthians in chapter 7. And uh, we're going to do something today that we don't normally do. You can be thinking, what on earth is that? We're going to work through a very large section. We're going to work through an entire chapter. We're going to work through 40 verses in one morning. It'll only take us like an hour, hour and a half tops. So, I'm just kidding. Now, there are a few reasons why I want to do this, work through this, this entire chapter together. One, it's an extremely difficult text, and part of me wants to get through it as quickly as possible. But we know it's such an important text, and we get through this, we can get a bigger picture of what God's instruction is to us and what his counsel is for us. We do this because it's tied to a very specific culture during a very specific time in this city called Corinth. And I imagine people sitting around, Uh, someone reading this letter from the Apostle Paul who writes it to them, and they're reading this letter or they're hearing it being read to them. And many of them are probably thinking, this is exactly what I needed to hear right now. Oh, this couldn't have come at a better time. And so we get this big picture of what was going on in that culture. And some of you might be thinking as we work through it that, you know, this might not be helpful to me right now. It's not something I'm going through in my life, but maybe it'll be helpful to remember this passage to come back to it later on. Many of you might be thinking, man, I wish I would have known this passage a year ago, two years ago. And so it hits us at different points. Another reason is that it's a difficult passage because of the nature of, of the topic itself. It's about marriage and divorce and singleness. And these are very personal issues, aren't they? They stir up deep emotions within our guts, whether it's shame or joy or frustration, or confusion. It's difficult because each of us brings to the table our own set of ears as we hear a passage like this, based on our own experiences, our conversations, based on our own opinions. And so really, this is not really a topic at all. This is really our life. These are about the most most passionate things that we are concerned with. Marriage, singleness, divorce. This is who we are. And so what does this do? This passage is going to affirm the goodness of marriage. This passage is going to affirm the goodness of singleness. And it shows us the heart of God who desires peace for all of us in our relationships, whether in our marriage or in our singleness. And so I want you to look at the note in the bulletin there. In your bulletin on the inside, there's a a point up a part there for you to take notes. And if you're married, I want you to grab a pen because I want you to fill in the blank here. I'm talking just to the married people in the room. If you're married, I want you to take a pen and I want you to fill out 
the blank in here. A marriage provided by God and pursued for God brings glory to God. You with me? Now, if you're single, I want you to grab a pen. (laughs) If you're single in the room, grab a pen and fill in the blanks after me. A singleness provided by God and pursued for God brings glory to God. So this is a great passage because it applies to every single person in this room. You are either single or married. And you hear this today as one who can apply this passage, can sit in this passage and and learn from it. You may be single because you've been divorced, you're widowed, maybe single by choice or not by choice. You may be married. And in the 40 verses, here's what I believe we can boil this down to. And then we'll get into the text. We are to pursue God with whatever he has provided for us today. Whether marriage or singleness. We're to bring glory to God when we pursue him in the relationship or lack of relationship that he's provided for us. So let's get started. In verse 1, Paul starts with writing, Now concerning the manners the matters about which you wrote. And so he's addressing specific concerns, specific questions that these people wrote to. Imagine this. They're writing to their pastor, and have, they have very specific questions, and then their pastor writes back to them in this letter, addressing some of the things that they, they question. In verse 1 through 5, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Still with me? Any, any, any thoughts on why I want to move past this really quickly? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Relationships between men and women were so perverted in this culture. I mean, they were so bad that some who have now become Christians that are in the, the culture of Corinth, they have now become Christians and they're asking this question. Should we get married at all? Should we have sex with our spouse at all? Is this right? Is it bad? I mean, they're asking these questions. How bad would the culture have to be that people are asking that kind of question? How twisted did things have to get for Christians to say, should I even get married? Should I, is sex even good at all? Because it's so bad. Everywhere I see, it's so bad. How bad, how bad would things have to get in our culture today? Or even our church, for our church, for Christians to sit here and say, I don't even think I'm going to get married. I don't even think I'm going to have sex ever. And I know we don't believe that. Just across the hall, we've got two full classrooms of little kids. We don't, we don't embrace that entirely as a church. But things would have to get pretty bad. The, abs- the idea of abstinence in this culture had taken over in the culture of Corinth. It had taken over the Christian community as well, where people were thinking, maybe it's best to not even touch a woman. Paul's response is very important for them, and it's very important for us today. 
A man should have his own wife, and a wife should have her own husband. Have. Now, this is a euphemism. We know what that means, right? You understand? Have, a, have your own wife. Have. It's the biblical having, right? Because of sexual immorality. Bible teacher John MacArthur, he's a pastor and Bible teacher, he notices six reasons why it's good to get married or why someone should consider getting married. Procreation, to raise godly children, to have children. Pleasure for our own enjoyment. These are, these are in the Bible talking about these things. Provision, that a man should get married to provide and take care of a spouse. Partnership, to seek a helper and companionship there. The picture, it's a picture of Christ and, the, and his love for the church. And lastly, purity. A reason why someone should get married is for purity's sake. He says, each man is to have his own wife and each wife her own husband. Marriage is the place where sexual intimacy disarms Satan's temptations rather than inviting it. Now, not only is this morally acceptable, Paul wants us to know, but it is by God's design, marriage in marriage, people should and can enjoy sex with one another. If you are married, you should talk about with your spouse the frequency of your lovemaking. This is both good for you. It's good for the husband. It's good for the wife to talk about these things. Because when you do, so many good things can come up. You know, is there distance? Is there guilt or shame? Is there fear? Is there confusion? Is there anger? Is there control? Is there frustration? Is there selfishness? All of these things are good as they come up to talk about these things. These all come out when we are open and honest about this relationship with our spouse. Healthy lovemaking is a symptom of a healthy marriage. Paul points out one reason why it's important. He says, so that you might not be tempted by Satan. That's interesting, isn't it? So that you would not be tempted by Satan. Paul moves on and says, But I wish you were like me, not married. I wish you were like me. That's interesting, isn't it? Paul says, now, you can do these things, but I wish you were like me. He's not commanding it, but he's recognizing the gift of singleness. Singleness is a gift. If you're, if you're single, you may be thinking, well, gee whiz, that's a gift I would like to return. What is this, like a white elephant gift? <laughs> Thank you, I love it. I've always wanted one of these. Uh, do you have a gift receipt? It, singleness is a gift. I remember this movie. It's a great movie. Maybe you've seen it. My Big Fat Greek Wedding. An oldie. Well, an oldie. Ten years ago, I think. <clears throat> Greek, a Greek girl named Tula. She's turning 30 years old, and she works at her family restaurant, and she's single. And she recalls, as she is narrating in the, in the film, she's recalling the three goals of any Greek woman. And you remember what they were? They were so funny. She said, here are the three goals of any Greek girl growing up in the world. Here are the goals. Make, marry a Greek boy. Make Greek babies. Feed everyone. <laughs> Those are the three goals of a, of, a, of, a, of a Greek woman. Now, for her, singleness was a failure. For her family, her singleness was a failure to them. They were driving in the car, and her father was driving her, going into work, and she was sitting in the back seat, and he looks through the rearview mirror, and he says, you look old. When are you going to get married? For her to be single, it was, it was a failure. What is wrong with you? Why are you still single? 
And our culture has got this wrong. They, singleness should not be viewed as a, as a failure to get married, but as a gift from God. I spent a lot of my life single. Oh, I was a gift from God that I did not get married to many of my girlfriends. They don't listen to my podcast. <laughs> I can say that. I guarantee they don't. You're a pastor. <clears throat> Paul wants us to know, if you can stay single, it's a good thing. The last thing that God wants in singleness is sexual immorality. And so he says this, verse 8, To the unmarried and to the widows I say that it is good. It is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now he's not talking about burning in hell. He's talking about burning with passion. If sexual temptation is not a problem, if sexual temptation is not a problem, stay single. That's what he says. It is good for you to stay single. If sexual temptation is a problem, then get married. It is good for you to marry. I am a believer in quick engagements. Do you hear me? You've been in those conversations. You've talked to people. Congratulations, you're engaged. When are you getting married? Oh, like 2015. You know, we want to get some things in order. We want to, we want to you know, I want to get a better job. We're going to wait a couple years. Seriously, what do you think is going to happen in that time? <laughs> what do you think is going to happen in, in those two years of engagement? You're going to burn with passion. I mean, you know, I want to get married and I've found the person that I'm going to marry. You're going to burn with passion or you're going to pull your hair out or you're going to fall into temptation. You're going to fall into sexual immorality. And both, all those are scenarios that are not good. I'm a fan of quick engagements. You found the person, you love the person, you've committed yourself to that person, get your things in order and, and get married. <coughs> he shifts back to married people now. Goes from married to unmarried, divorced, widowed. He now comes back to married people in verse 10. To the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say, and he says, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbeliever, unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. Here's what he says in verse 10. He says, not I, but the Lord. And so Paul is saying, what I'm about to say to you, this is, a, this is, the, this is the, the command of Christ. This is the view of Christ. These are the words of Christ and should be taken with full sobriety and, 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 and authority. What is God's Desire regarding marriage, one woman, one man, forever. Indivisible, unseparable. That is God's desire. But then he says, to the rest I say, I, not the Lord. And so we saw, we get to see Paul as a pastor here. 
He's coming, he's saying, you know, there isn't, Christ never said this, he never told me this, but this is the wisdom of Christ working through me. It is the authority of Christ because I believe I have the Spirit of God. That's what he says. And so these things are my pastoral counsel. It is the wisdom of God. He's applying the gospel and the wisdom of God to a very unique situation. Let's say you have a couple that has gotten married, and they're both unbelievers. And they decide, someone invites them to church, and they go to church. And the husband, he hears the gospel, and he is, he is, his heart is struck with the gospel and the love of Christ. And he repents of his sins, and he, be, he puts his faith in Jesus, and he becomes a Christian. And the wife says, yeah, not so much for me. I'm not there yet. And this was happening, and it happens today, and it was happening in this culture. And men were leaving their spouses and, and their wives, and wives were leaving their husbands over this thing. And Paul says this, The believing spouse becomes the sanctifying instrument in the life of that other spouse and to the children. The believing spouse, whether it's the husband or the wife, becomes a sanctifying instrument in that family. The blessings of God, in some way, fill the life of the believer and spill out towards the life of the family. This is the kindness of God. This is the love of God. This is the blessing of God working through a believer into that believer's family, whether they're believers or not. What a great example of God's kindness to us. That he would not say, oh, to you, you you're a believer uh, yeah, my, my love is all for you, but as far as your family and your kids, I mean, good luck to them. That really stinks. You're really in a tough spot here. I don't know what to do. But God is not like that. He is not confused about these issues. He loves us, and His love fills over into that family. It's tied in part to our belief in what is happening when a believing parent brings their child to be baptized here at our church. It does not save the child. It does not make that child a Christian. It does not make that child not have to repent of sins and trust in Jesus alone. But a believing parent has this sanctifying effect of setting aside and setting apart for holy purposes their, their family, their children. It's a great thing. Then in verse 15, he goes on and says, But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? This passage might be good for you or a friend if you're single and you're dating someone. You are a believer and you're dating someone who's not a Christian and you're dating that person for evangelistic purposes. You know what that means? You're dating that person, you love that person, you care about that person, but you're a Christian, that other person is not, and you're thinking, well, maybe, maybe he or she will become a Christian. Maybe that person will be, that I marry will become a Christian, and then we'll have that common bond. Maybe they'll become a Christian after we get married. And Paul says, marriage is not an evangelistic tool. If the unbeliever literally takes himself out, let her leave. Let him leave. Why? He says, because you're no longer bound. The bonds of marriage have been broken. God has called you to peace. He has not called you to, to 
wrestle through this in this way, to be untethered. He has not called you to be broken and to live your life fighting tooth and nail in a broken relationship. If that spouse wants to leave, let, let him or her leave, if they're an unbeliever. He moves on to verse 17, and here's an interesting verse in 17. He says, live as you were called. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. He likewise says in verse 24, So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let there let him remain with God. And this is, this is the message in this interesting passage where he says, Live as you were called. Live in the manner that God has called you. Your current state in life is not meant to restrain you, but is meant to promote you to sanctification. Your current state, whether married Single, divorced, widowed, is to promote you to Christ. To promote you to sanctification. Not to restrain you, not to burden you, not to punish you. It's to promote you to Jesus. You're married to the person you are so that you can know God more. If you are married, you are married. God has provided the spouse for you to promote you to Jesus and his love. So if you think that your spouse is just good for nothing, why did I marry this person? It is because God has provided a sanctifying tool for you to promote you in this circumstance to Jesus. If you are single, God has provided these circumstances to promote you to Jesus. Paul is becoming extremely pastoral as he goes through this passage. And you can just see this kindness and this love and this nurturing nature that he has. He's, he's wrestling with some intense situations. And he doesn't just say, okay, you want to know what to do? Here's what you need to do. I mean, he engages with them. He sits with them and he, and he counsels them and he brings them the wisdom of God. And even he brings to them his own wisdom, his own thoughts on the matter. And he keeps in that, in that theme in verse 25. And he says, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord. Isn't this interesting? That someone with such confidence, like, Paul, what should we do? You know God. You're you're our pastor. I don't know what to do in that situation. God has not told me. But here's the wisdom of God. Here's the counsel from the Spirit that is within me. And Paul admits, he's like, I don't know what God would say to you in this instance. But here is the wisdom. He says, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. Isn't that great advice? What should I do? Don't do it. But if you do it, that's okay. (laughs) I'm confused. What do I do? Whatever you want. But don't do it. Let's keep going. Oh, but if, uh, verse 28, if, uh, if you do marry, you've not sinned, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned, yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. Amen. And I will, would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. What does that mean? If you're married, live as if you're not. He's not saying if you're married, live like a bachelor. Live like a bachelorette. It doesn't mean keep your options open. Play lots of video games. Do whatever you want. He is saying, if you are married, pour your life into the kingdom. 
If you are single, pour your life into the kingdom. It is okay to get married. It's good. It is okay to be single. It is good. Both are gifts from God. And we ought to confront both as a way to pour our life into the kingdom. Because if you are married, you know that you have seen your opportunity to pour your life into other people, into the kingdom, has been shortened. It's been constrained. It has been limited in some way, in time alone. And some of those obstacles are removed if you're single, and that's good. So while you are still single, pour your life into the kingdom with the time that you have. That's what Paul's saying. Then he says, continues with his theme, pour your life into the kingdom. In verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. There may be fathers. You know, he talks about this betrothed. That word is virgins. He's talking about young daughters living at home who do not have a, a, a man yet, another man, a, a prospect. A, they, do not, they are not married. And some try to keep their daughters single forever. You don't need a man, you have me. Some dads might think. You can stay with your mother and I. We'll spend the weekends at Cracker Barrel. I mean, things will just be good. Things will be good for us. Just stay at home. Maybe, you have, maybe your dad was like this. Maybe you're a dad like this. Maybe you know fathers like this. That to their daughters, they say, all you need is me. You don't need another man. And every man that comes around, you, you just beat him off. You say, no one, no man. You don't need any man in your life. I will take care of you forever. And what does Paul say to someone like that? He says, it's okay, dad. Let her marry. But if she doesn't want to get married, that's okay too. Keep loving her. Keep promoting her to the Lord. So Paul is saying to the father, to you fathers, if you have a daughter, don't be pushing your daughter out to date. Don't be pushing her to find a man. Don't be pushing her as if singleness is second best to getting married. And he's also saying, don't be pushing her to stay home with you. Don't be pushing her to stay home and to work on your car with you. Promote her to the Lord. Promote her to Christ. And let her do what she is led to do by God when that time comes. And celebrate that with her. Celebrate her desire to not be ready to date. Celebrate that desire for her to to start dating. Use your godly wisdom to love her, to nurture her, and to promote her to Jesus. It is okay, Paul says. Because there are guys in this culture that are thinking, oh my goodness, look at what my daughter is being raised into. I'll just keep her in a barrel. I'll keep her in a box. I'll keep her sheltered from the world so that she is never has to be confronted with the wickedness of the world. Paul says, don't do that. Paul's a great pastor and does such a good job 
saturating difficult situations with the wisdom of Christ, with the freedom and love of Christ. He points us to Jesus. In our marriage, in our singleness, he points us to Jesus. He doesn't bind us by rules. He doesn't say, here's what you must do and not do. He points us towards obedience because of obedience, it is for our own good benefit. It is, own, it is for his glory. It is for our joy that he would instruct us how to live. See, this is, this is just like the Lord, isn't it? This is like his character. It's consistent with the God of love and kindness and generosity and freedom that as we come to him with our most passionate circumstances and our most passionate relationships, he does not just tell us, oh, this is what you have to do. He engages with us with kindness and friendship. And he, he pulls us to himself. He promotes us to, to a life with him. And he says, it's okay to be single. It is okay to be married. He doesn't enslave us. And he gives us concessions. He says, this is what I desire. Paul says, this is what I hope, that everybody would be single like me. Of course, we wouldn't be here if that were the case, would we? If we listened to Paul. But he concedes. And he says, but if you want to marry, that's okay too. There's freedom in Christ. Not free to do whatever we want, but freedom to pursue him in our relationships. Do you know him like this? Do you know Christ like this? As a a God of freedom, as a God of love and kindness. He doesn't say, here is my ideal you. Now hit that mark. And if you don't hit it, it's like, what's wrong with you? Why are you the person that you are? Is that how you've experienced God? Is there guilt? Is there shame? Is there judgment on not being the person that he wants you to be? He says, I pour my life into you. Pour your life, wherever you are, into the kingdom. God's provided your singleness for holy purposes. Do you know that? If you're a single, God has provided your singleness for holy purposes. God has provided your marriage for holy purposes. Do you know that? That he has given you the spouse for holy purposes. Don't neglect to see that. He's provided this for you, for me, for good reason. You know, the road that has led to where you are right now, married, single, divorced, widowed, might have been very broken it might be filled with a lot of sadness and shame. It might, be, might have been a very difficult marriage you're in right now. It might have been a very painful divorce. It might have been a very sorrowful death. It might be very hard. But where you are right now is good. The road to where you are might have been broken, but where you are right now, God is saying, this is good. He has provided this for you. Pursue Him for your own joy, for His glory. God provides both. And in both, we can pursue Him and find that joy. Let's pray. For more audio and information, please visit holycrosstucson.com.